Hello everyone, my name is Kevin Fernando, I'm Education Director of GP Notebook Education. Welcome to our latest episode of our GP Notebook podcast. And actually this episode is a diabetes special, focusing on some of the key messages that have come out of the recently completed ADA, American Diabetes Association Annual Congress. And for this episode, I'm fortunate to be joined by some of my diabetes colleagues here. I've got Patrick Holmes, a GP in Darlington. I've got Amrit Lamba, a GP in London, and we have Amma Patan, a consultant diabetologist in Birmingham. So I'm just going to hand over to them very quickly to give a bit more of an introduction and their background before we kick off uh, with some of our key take-home messages. So Patrick, uh, do you mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, I've been a GP partner for 20 years now in Darlington, originally from Leeds, that's my hometown, um, so I haven't moved that far. Um, the, I'm a GPSI in diabetes, a CCG lead now for Tees Valley, and I also are involved in uh, some clinical research as well. Good stuff. Cheers. Amrit? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Amrit Lamba. I'm a GP based in Barnet, North London. Um, have a specialist interest in diabetes that I've developed over the last five or six years. Um, I'm uh, one of the clinical leads for our community diabetes service and uh, our GP Federation diabetes service as well. And, um, and yeah, it's my first virtual ADA, which it is for everyone. And it's, uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to talk about it with, with all of you. Uh, thanks for joining us, Amrit. And Amma. Hi, yep. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Amar Patana here. I'm a um, relatively new consultant, you could say, um, uh, a couple of years now in uh, uh, Birmingham, part of the UHB Trust. And um, I have a massive interest in diabetes, as most people will know, uh, and especially medical education. Uh, my specific interests, I guess, are more kind of cardiovascular disease and uh, older adults. But um, yeah, anything diabetes. And So let's get on to the meat of the podcast uh, the, the ADA Congress. So, uh, you know, another great Congress. I thought overall some really interesting sessions. Still quite a dominance, isn't there, of cardio, metabolic, uh, renal medicine, inevitably. And that certainly is a, a main interest of mine. Um, but certainly some uh, more uh, uh, other interesting sessions as well, out, out with, uh, you know, that, that sphere as well. So maybe uh, should we kick off uh, with you, Amrit? Do you want to take us through maybe one or two key messages or interesting sessions uh, that you think would be helpful to share, or as you said, to discuss, to try and refine that uh, opinion. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, going into this this conference, trying to keep it as relevant as possible to uh, primary care and to my own practice. So I was, I was trying to look out for, you know, the SGLT2 inhibitors, obviously, and I know we're going to discuss that in some detail going yeah. forward. A couple of things that jumped out at me, you know, the gifts that keep on giving from, you know, the, the Empereg outcome, uh, post-hoc analysis, you know, uh, you know, the cardiovascular benefits that are seen, um, you know, uh, within three weeks, I think so within 17 days, you know, the, there's the first benefit seen in terms of hospitalization for heart failure. I thought that was quite striking, uh, particularly at the moment, locally, we are you know, really trying to uh, get our clinical pharmacists involved in terms of prescribing of SGLT2 inhibitors. And, and, and information and little taglines like that can really kind of send that message across of, you know, how kind of quickly these these sorts of agents, in this case, empagliflozin, can make a difference. Um, and the real kind of detriment that patients could face if we are kind of lagging at all, if there's that clinical inertia. So, so that was uh, uh, really interesting for me. So there's that. There's also... Just following on from that, I think, uh, and maybe Patrick can help me out here as well. I think there's a number of studies 
currently recruiting for acute heart failure and, and SGLT2Us, isn't there? I mean, that, uh, again, uh, it's going to have significant clinical implications for, for our secondary care colleagues particularly. So, uh, yeah, very exciting uh, class of drugs in terms of its effect and the speed of onset, uh, absolutely. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, um, I, I was just without dwelling too much on SGLT2 inhibitors, I'll move on to something else that just caught my eye. It was um, use of uh, the Freestyle Libra. Um, and there was, um, I know, you know, in England, it's really been championed by Partha Carr. We've, you know, from my experience in primary care, my involvement isn't that much. It's, you know, very much a secondary care initiated kind of uh, initiative. But it was interesting to see a, a U.S. study that looked at type 2 diabetes, the use of um, uh, flash monitoring in type 2 diabetes, mm. and actually how it you know, reduced um, acute diabetes-related events. Um, obviously, it was, it was a retrospective study, you know, um, and can't obviously say that there was a causal effect there, but just kind of potentially widening the scope of you know, the use of Freestyle Libra just caught my attention. And again, something from my own experience of my own patients who have themselves privately gone and purchased Freestyle Libra, you know, outside of the realms of the NHS criteria, the impact that it's made for those patients actually in terms of their engagement has been interesting. Um, so this study really showing that potentially can reduce, you know, acute diabetes related events, hypos, hypers, DKAs in type 2 diabetes caught my eye as something that would benefit the patient and potentially the health economics uh, surrounding that as well. So those are just a couple of things, so many things that uh, kind of did catch the eye, but those are just two things that I thought were quite, quite interesting from a primary care perspective. Freestyle Libra, I mean, routinely I hear the, the phrase life-changing from uh, ma many mm. of my patients. You know, that, uh, mm. I, I'm not exaggerating here. It's uh, something we regularly hear in primary and secondary care about the impact of this. So, Emma, yeah, do you want to take us through maybe one or two uh, key, key sessions or messages or uh, items of uh, note uh, that you took away from the ADA? Yep. And I mean, as, as Amit was saying, it, and you've been saying, it's always been heavily focused on, on cardiorenal and metabolic kind of side of things with, with SGL2 inhibitors and GLP-1s. Um, I will talk about one of those sessions, but the one thing probably I, I found interesting, perhaps not for now, but for the future, was uh, a presentation on, on weekly insulins and specifically a, a new weekly yeah, insulin yeah. called ICODEC, yeah. which... Um, I remember when, when the initial st uh, first um, uh, ultra-long-acting insulins came on, uh, there were thoughts, oh, maybe we could use these you know, once a week or you know, less frequently, uh, and that didn't work out. So um, something like this kind of slipped, slipped my radar, and I found, found myself seeing, oh, there is something, a weekly insulin. And uh, they compared Icodec to Glargine and looked at it, and what they found was fairly consistent and similar HP1C reduc uh, reductions with it. Um, uh, however, slightly uh, more more hypos, um, and that's probably the main concern that people were saying with weekly insulin is if you have hypoglycemia, how are you going to adjust the dose? How are you going to reduce it? If someone's going to go into a, a, an unwell state or if they're um, in hospital and then things change, how are you going to adapt and change things? And I don't think I don't think I have an answer. I don't think anyone had a clear answer. Um, Stefano Del Prato did an excellent kind of summary uh, talk on this. Uh, I'd recommend it if anyone's going to uh, uh, has access to ADA, um, and said it's it's the start of something. 
and, and it's going to be refined and, and there are going to be phase three trials now on the back of this ICODEC data. And I'm, I'm something I'm keeping an eye out for the future because the possibilities are there. Um, as you know, I, I do it frailty in older adults and, and, and try and simplifying regimes. If you can get something that's, that's once a week from an insulin side and perhaps who knows other, other medications that are injectables to GLP-1s, uh, combining them would be, would be an interesting concept, but also even um, uh, third party administration, that would be something that would save a lot of money as well, potentially. I mean, you, you can take your uh, bingo card here, but that would be a game changer for, for our district yes. nursing colleagues, wouldn't it? Uh, particularly given the, 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 the pressures we're under in the, in, in the pandemic. But you know, if we can reconcile insulin to once or even twice weekly, to be honest, uh, would, would uh, relieve a lot of pressures. Would you agree, Patrick? Or, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. But I, I, I think as Stefano Toprato commented, his, his final slide was, we've got a long road ahead. And I think there is a lot that this, this issue about hypoglycemia concerned me. You know, we're moving away from average um, glucose in terms of HbA1c, certainly in type 1 diabetes, in, increasing it to that time in range. And there's increasing evidence. In fact, there was some evidence um, about time in range you know, uh, which came actually from uh, um, eight-point testing um, from from a, a cardiovascular trial. It was post hoc uh, stuff, but it showed timing range made a difference when it came to mortality in that uh, study. Um, and it, so, it's a slight concern in the sense if we've got people going outside of range for the convenience of once weekly. So it felt, uh, you know, uh, there's a there's a superficial attraction. I, I think I'm more with. You, Kevin, you said it'd be nice if we got a twice weekly one if it yeah. works well. You know, we we sometimes, I suppose, we've had drugs which are sold as truly once daily um, GLP ones, and actually they're not, and they don't work very well. And you know, and and uh, we've got insulins which aren't fully once daily, and and yet they're sold as once daily. So it's so I think we should be treating the patient, and but but I know certainly once weekly GLP one has changed my prescribing. I, uh, and if, if the insulin is just as safe, uh, I, I, it would it would be hugely welcomed. I think when those, particularly patients, when they're first starting um, treatment, and they, you can get away probably with an insulin basal, you might be able to treat them earlier, and therefore avoid a lot of the problems which we 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 come come we deal with later on, which are so expensive um, financially and to the poor old person who's living with the condition. Was there, was there another session you wanted to discuss, Alma? Was there anything else? To note? There was one on, 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 on dapper heart failure. I don't know if Patrick yeah. was going to go into that, but I'm, I was, that was one of the sessions that interested me. Um, the dapper HF update, you mean, that, that session? Metabolic outcomes yeah, from yeah, dapper yeah, heart yeah. failure. No, I, I, I was keen to, we discussed that. Some really interesting stuff within that, uh, wasn't it? And uh, yes. I've written a little review of that already, actually. So no, I'd be, yeah, go fire away, go for it too. Yeah, no, so, so, so for those of you who don't know, um, um, dapper heart Heart failure is the trial looking at dapagliflozin, uh, the treatment of uh, heart failure um, in a uh, HEFREF, a reduced ejection fraction heart failure um, in a population of, of patients who either had no diabetes or a history of diabetes. Um, so 45, 42% or so people had a history of diabetes, but a large number, 55%, did not have known diabetes, um, of which they, uh, there was a 3% undiagnosed diabetes that the, they uncovered in the trial. But 55% of people did not have diabetes. And so, as we know, dapper heart failure showed that dapagliflozin um, uh, reduces hospitalization for heart failure uh, in, in, in all patients, effectively. But uh, this was specifically looking at those who did not have diabetes. 
and specific, specifically the, the, the incidence of new onset diabetes. Yeah, and there was a difference. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I remember when it came out, the part initially, I thought, I want to know what's going to happen with the group who either have, who are at risk of diabetes or don't have diabetes, because we know about imports of diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, let's say, sorry, let's make that clear, type 2 diabetes. Um, diabetes prevention, uh, we know a lot is going on in, in across, across the world about diabetes prevent, type 2 diabetes prevention. So where would this fit in with that? And this is a, this is a way in a, in, a, in, a, in a controlled trial to see the effects. And what they did find was, was dapagliflozin did reduce the incidence of new onset type 2 diabetes, which uh, was very interesting, led to a lot of kind of considerations. Where do you, where do you place this then in, in terms of heart failure medication? Do you prioritize certain people or do you, uh, I use that word, you know, quite, quite um, argumentatively in a way, you know, do you, is it everyone heart failure or do you say, well, this person's got diabetes and heart failure, this person's got borderline diabetes and heart failure, they may have added benefit on top of the heart failure effects. Yeah, yeah. So where do you place this? This is something that's, that's worth considering. Now it's important to remember this trial was not designed or, or powered essentially look at this. It's just a, an outcome, a secondary outcome that they, they looked at. So there's a lot of you know, holes in, 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 in some of the trial methodology because of that. But based on HbA1c, there were some changes and, and it's something for the future. Oh, definitely. And the effect was more pronounced in those who had pre-diabetes, pre wasn't it? Uh, as defined though by the ADA criteria. So they have a slightly lower HbA1c, don't they? 5.7 yes. uh, and above. But nevertheless, quite compelling. And I think off the top of my head, it was around about 31% relative risk reduction, um, wasn't it? Uh, uh, in, in, term, uh, in terms of the benefits, similar to what we saw uh, with metformin in the diabetes prevention program. So, you know, <laughs> fairly compelling. Part of me thinks though we're making a rod for our own backs though, Amrit. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I, to be honest, I hardly ever use metformin for diabetes prevention anyway, uh, to be honest. Occasionally in some of my, you know, Asian patients whose HbA1c's continue to, to increase. Um, but otherwise, I'd very much try and focus on the lifestyle and uh, signpost to relevant lifestyle intervention programs. Um, but uh, well, what are your thoughts? Could you see yourself using SGLT2 inhibitors, perhaps even out with the context of heart failure for, um, um, for diabetes prevention? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's tough enough at the moment <laughs> to initiate metformin, <laughs> let alone anything else. Um, and I think that's... Um, you know, it's, uh, perhaps a, a cultural change would be required within primary care in terms of the management of, of pre-diabetes or uh, uh, however you want to term it at the moment. But yeah, I think that would be that. That's a tough. That's a tough one to sell. I think to, to, to primary care. And, and being a bit cynical, uh, I'll, I'll come in here because I mean we've seen glucose out of debate again. Going back on Twitter, I've just had a debate with a professor in, in cardiology. So it's always good as a GP to start teaching professors <laughs> in cardiology things about diabetes. But they, and they were saying, "Oh wow, you've got this. How, what's the mechanism of action?" I said, "Glucose lowering. I mean, it's a glucose lowering drug. Metformin works by glucose lowering. Pioglitazone has been shown in a in a randomized controlled trial to prevent diabetes, and uh, you." know acabos um, but you, that you know that works in preventing diabetes but but you know I, so i think I, I think answering your question i think i the two things really one is i think uh, sglt2 inhibitors and we'll come on to this, but they have obviously other benefits. So I think I think in some patients, particularly if they've got, let's say, heart failure, or, or there is perhaps evidence that they've got some, uh, and we, this is 
developing evidence. Um, uh, but but it, it, it may work in protecting kidneys outside of diabetes. We just have to watch this space. Some, some trials are coming out. One actually trial came out just today. Um, so uh, it was just a very short one, but it, it does look like they probably do work outside of diabetes um, and uh, in terms of renal protection. But the, the beauty is if obviously you've got these patients, if they're pre-diabetic or, or whatever word we want to use, they're, 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 the amount of glucose they're going to pee out is a lot less. So they get less side effects. So they actually compare to, so that why don't we use metformin? It's t- twice a day. It's cheap. It's twice a day. But, you know, it's, it's not the easiest drug. It's a very effective drug, but... But if we can give it once a day, very easy, take one which gives them other benefits, then yeah, why not? I'm a, I'm a Yorkshireman, so as I've said, so you know, if we buy one, get one free, I'm, I'm all for a bargain. So if we can treat more than one condition. Oh, sorry, get clear. I just want to make it clear, I'm not advocating the use of SGLT2 inhibitors prevention. I know, I know. I'll make it clear for everyone else who's listening. It's an interesting concept of you know, stratifying, I guess, patients yes, and, yes. And, and heart failure, and those with heart failure or why you're concerned about heart failure, you can look and see where you go with that. Um, so it's, it's an interesting, and I'm happy to have that debate in a different setting. No, no, that was just me getting cut or carried away. I mean, of course, the yeah, criteria was HEFREF, so these individuals have pre-diabetes with HEFREF, so that is is very important. But nevertheless, you know, very interesting, you know, for the ongoing uh, discussion of the management of of pre-diabetes. The other thing I liked from that DAPHF session, there was some really good practical advice about what to do with diuretics uh, when adding in DAPHF, specifically, of course, when we talk about uh, DAPHF. Uh, for the management of heart failure. And the answer was not much, really, was it? I mean, that, that was a reassuring message that uh, uh, there was very little early or even later tweaking of diuretic doses, even for those individuals on quite high doses at baseline. So, again, I thought that was a very helpful and pragmatic message for both secondary and primary care. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, Amar? Yeah, so um, they, spe- yeah, they specified in, in, when we were talking that they had a two-week follow-up after well, the initiation yes, yeah. purely for the diuretic and that yeah. side of things to make sure. And, and they said, yeah, essentially, they didn't need to make any real changes. It, it was based on assessment of the patient, and the majority of patients didn't need any t- particular tweaking. And if so, it was very minor. So um, we were reassured there's a lot of debate and query about what do we do with the di- diuretics. Yeah. And a lot of these patients will be on, they may be on, you know, a thiazide diuretic, they may be on a loop diuretic, they may be also on a, also on a, on a, sorry, on, on an aldosterone uh, antagonist. So, uh, spironactone. So, I think it answers, uh, in my mind at least, uh, what I've been doing and just been, just being, you know, being sensible and pragmatic about it and saying, yeah, if you notice your, I guess if you're noticing any difference in your volumic state, your volume status, in your how, how much fluids are going on, how much you're weighing out, or how much you're not weighing out, then it's important just to just to alert someone about that. But I don't think it's. I think it's reassured me that that there's nothing too concerning. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought the other interesting point uh, John Murray made was, and I suppose it really re-emphasizes that. Uh, in the context of heart failure, SGLT2s work in a very different manner, not dependent on glycemia. They just didn't see the same sort of urinary frequency, the mycotic side effects, uh, UTIs. Uh, wasn't that right, Patrick? It, it, uh, it was pretty clean. I think, paraphrasing John, yep. it was a pretty clean safety profile overall. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I, and that's, we've seen that in other trials as well, uh, you know, presented maybe not at this conference, but at others. If you've got, so those patients with very marked renal impairment, you know, with EGFRs below 45, they're not, these, these drugs aren't very good glucose lowering because you're not peeing out the glucose, but they may still work in other effects. But the, one of the beauties is you don't get at least that mycotic infection problem because of presumably because of the the, the lack of, or the marked reduction in glucose, glycosuria and again if you're giving it to patients who don't have diabetes the amount of glycosuria is again reduced so so some of the problems we see um, uh, clinically particularly when patients got relatively high um, uh, glucose levels you, you you know we don't we don't see with these patients so so yeah I, I, it's um, you know so I, yeah I agree I, I, it, um, it, it, these are uh, useful um, agents um, in paper, people who don't have diabetes and maybe prevents them joining the diabetes club. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just conscious of your time. Uh, you know, very much again, appreciate you joining me. So I wanted to quickly talk about Virtus, but Patrick, was there any particular sessions you wanted to highlight quickly? Um, well, very briefly, mine are very SGLT2 focused because right. it is the gift that keeps on giving. So, and, I, and, and this is based partly on, because on, I tweeted a lot, and actually I just looked at which ones seem to, people seem to pick up on more, and therefore there was interest out there. And there was, so one thing which I think is really important was actually came from Credence. So this, this is the study which showed with patients with macroalbuminuria, so with diabetic kidney disease, with macroalbuminuria, I think the license is coming very soon, I think in the next month or two. And so this will be available to be prescribed in the UK. There will be a change in license of canonical flows in 100. But, and, but these drugs work a bit like a bit like ACE inhibitors in terms of they reduce the intracomolar pressure in a different way from ACE inhibitors, but you do get a drop in the EGFR just as you do with ACE inhibitors and ARBs. Now we know a certain drop is, is actually often a good thing actually when, you, when we're starting ACE inhibitors and ARBs. And this appears to be, the, at least it's not a bad thing when it comes to SGLT2 inhibitors. So as long as the number is below a 30% drop in EGFR, it's absolutely safe. So that was, that was a reassuring thing for, for a class of drugs and often in quite sick patients. So, you know, I think knowing this is reassuring, I, 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 I can remember having a conversation with you, Kevin, about yes, this yes. a couple of months ago and, and now we've got the answer. So that, that was useful. And then there was a wonderful little um, study which was very popular, which was actually about, uh, so there was, these were six sick patients. So they were started, they were patients with type two diabetes admitted to hospital, either with established cardiovascular disease as a comorbidity or at very high risk. But these were hospitalized patients, started on SGLT2 inhibitor then, it was a randomized control trial, and they looked at their um, walking distance and their fitness um, after at, at six and 12 weeks. And there was a marked improvement by just giving an SGLT2 inhibitor. Now, whether that's because it's improving, uh, I suspect it's a, a heart failure drug in, in these patients who, who may have silent heart failure, uh, which we haven't quite uh, diagnosed yet, but, but there was an improvement. And again, uh, it's good to have a, a drug which improves people's symptoms. Yes, and, then, and then the other was the first one I've seen is uh, that we, there was evidence from an SGLT2 study, again, this was with dapagliflozin, which which actually in a randomized control setting, uh, and it, they reduced some fibrosis markers, these patients with, with uh, NAFLD, uh, they, were, they weren't just changing enzymes, they were actually changing more robust uh, fibrosis um, uh, markers. So, so it's, again, it, it was just one first study, but that was very popular. So, 
So I think, and, and then I'll throw another one in. It, you, there was some evidence, again, from the Emperor Reg study, it's post hoc stuff. So this is, is really to generate ideas rather than this being evidence. I, I get that out there. But um, uh, it, which, which showed there was a reduction not all in people developing sleep apnea during the study. So, and we'd, I suppose we'd expect that if it's losing a bit of weight, et cetera. But, but again, it, it, you know, if we've got a drug which in patients who are heart failure don't have diabetes, it prevents them developing diabetes. And then the patients who've got diabetes, it might prevent them from getting sleep apnea. These are all good things. And, and these, these things are, are beyond the glucose lowering, well, certainly the sleep apnea is beyond the glucose lowering effect. And I think, you know, we, as GPs, I think we, we know our, it, there's a lot more to particularly type 2 diabetes than glucose. So, so it, it just fits into my little worldview. Good. Thanks so much. Uh, Amrit, do you want to add anything else? Uh, anything, anybody want to add anything else before we sort of finish off with a quick discussion about Virtus CV? Nope. Good stuff. Okay, so this is probably where you definitely will need your bingo card, <laughs> um, Discussion about Virtus CV, and I'm sure many of the listeners will know or have some idea about Virtus CV. It's the, the cardiovascular safety trial for ertuglifosin, the, the fourth SGLT2 inhibitor to, to market in the UK anyway. Um, and this, of course, was on these cardiovascular safety trials, of course, were back on the 2008 FDA guidance that mandated uh, cardiovascular safety trials for all new diabetes drugs. But actually, just to digress a wee bit, that it was that interesting cardiovascular session, wasn't there? Like a trial session on the first day of the Congress. Um, and it appears that the FDA have rescinded really much of their original guidance and there appears to be a shift back towards perhaps glucose lowering. We're talking smaller numbers of people in trials, shorter duration of exposure. Certainly, Steve Nissen didn't like the sound of that in the session, did he? He was his usual self, um, uh, quite quite furious about that, saying you know it was a retrograde step. But know, which part of me agrees with? But part of me also thinks these trials are eye-wateringly expensive, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, Virtus CV over a hundred million US dollars anyway, isn't it? Um, you know, or even upwards again. Um, you know, is that a good ethical way of spending that amount of money? So, I mean, very quickly, I know I'm digressing again. What are your thoughts on the uh, cardiovascular safety trials? Do you think they should be here to stay? Or do you think the FDA was right to uh, re- relax, perhaps, uh, the, the criteria? It was an interesting session because they had quite a balanced argument, didn't they? I mean, we wouldn't have got this wealth of data yes, that we yes. got from the cardiovascular outcome trials mm-hmm. from the last few years. Um, but you make a very valid point there about the, the sheer expense and potentially whether moving forwards, go back to that phrase, a hybrid version of, you know, um, of, of uh, trials. Uh, literally, just as I said, that like thunder and lightning has, <laughs> has struck in London. Uh, um, so, uh, but, but yeah, uh, that would, that's what I, I would say. I think very valuable of what we've got from the last uh, kind of few years of cardiovascular outcome trials, but it's certainly something worth bearing in mind in terms of the future. Patrick, you'd be bereft yeah. if you stopped cutting. Ah, I think I think I wouldn't know what to do. Absolutely, <laughs> I think I mean, I, I, as you say, that we would that we wouldn't have discovered about all these things that SGLT2 inhibitors do. I mean, you know, as I, I can remember, it, it, someone described it as really a, a fantastic heart failure drug which protects kidneys, uh, which has a side effect of of making you pee out glucose. And I think increasingly that's 
you know, often when we're looking at some of these things, you know, GLP-1, it seems to reduce stroke. And, you know, why? And, you know, and how? And, and uh, you know, so it's... So I think they offer so much, but as you say, they're so expensive. And I, I think, you know, if you look at the price, so who's paying for it? It's the Americans. The Americans are paying for this and we're benefiting from it in Europe. And, and, and these, so, and, and that's, if you've got Donald Trump, if he gets another round of uh, elections, uh, it's there for another four years or whatever. And you can imagine he doesn't really want to be subsidizing the world uh, uh, with the American taxpayer, essentially, or, or, or the person who's paying for their insurance. So, but, but uh, you know, questions still go on about does metformin truly protect the, you know, are the findings of UK PDS? Because it was small, it was a well-run study, but long. I, I, I think I, I, my only comment on this is actually Ben Goldacre. So I quite like his view on this, which is, is that we should be almost having sort of pragmatic randomized trials handing in surgery. So you press a button and it tells you what to prescribe and then it records it. I don't know where patient choice comes in in all of this, but, um, uh, but it, it's, it, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't know how we can, you know, th these are massive trials. So it, it, they cost so much. So it's got to have to change. You're going to say, Amar? Oh, sorry. Yeah, cool. No, it's, it's interesting because these trials came about from a safety side of things, purely yes. from, from Russell Goodstone, as we know. And it's answered that question, hasn't it? We've had one trial, Russell Goodstone, which was looked at, but then the, all, all the subsequent others, as they, as they said, as they argued, all showed safety. So the whole point for having this, the whole basis for which you had the FDA change the guidance, is, is being proven to be, well, there's no, there's so far, nothing to worry about. So you can see why the, the, the argument is there. Now, you ask, should we be changing things? Well, in a way, does it matter in a way? You could, I know Stephen has mentioned that it will change things, but if you're bringing a new medication to the market or you're bringing a new SGLT2 inhibitor, as we see with, with your glucosin, you almost have to do a cardiovascular outcome trial to be on level, level, on level with the others at this point. Yes. If you don't do that, then it's the rod that will beat you with and say, well, you haven't done one. And so you're damned if you're damned if you don't, in a way. Mm -hmm. in that setting. And so, FDA were quite clear about that. The FDA representatives were quite clear about them. They said, they're, you know, they're not, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to deliver the same robust outcomes, you know, so there's not going to be any shortcuts. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and maybe we get pragmatic trials or kind of we, we get more from the trial. So not just looking at cardiovascular outcomes, a whole variety of outcomes, if we can. And so we get you know more more bang for your buck in a way if, if that's possible. Good stuff. So over to Virtus CV then. So uh, again, conscious of time, so I've got just one question really for me each of you. As we know, ertiglifrozin, um, Virtus CV, methods um, primary endpoint of non inferiority with respect to mace. Um, but really, I, I suppose. What, what uh, there are two, two questions that seem to have been dominating Twitter. I mean, the first of all is this issue of cardiovascular death. So now we have four SGLT2 trials, Patrick, and really only one of them has demonstrated a significant improvement in cardiovascular death. What are your thoughts on that? It, it, it appears now that Empereg is the outlier. Um, it, this, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm certainly quite happy to take this. Yeah, absolutely. I think we now, it looks like Emperor Reg is the outlier. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, and it's it, now, and that raises more questions, I think, about <laughs> Emperor Reg than it does about the others, because that's the odd one out now. And, and that was clearly demonstrated with a, a meta-analysis they did uh, to accompany the, 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 the data. It was an update of a, a previous meta-analysis. Uh, but by Thomas Zelinka, but but it's uh, Zelnica rather. Um, 
but it, it's but yeah so it raises questions and again going back to twitter so there was uh, i knew there'd been some issues about the adjudication of, of the cardiovascular deaths and you've got to remember that Empereg only just achieved its primary endpoint statistically significant it was 0.99 so if it was one then it you could have said well you've it, 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 you can't rule out that there isn't um uh you know that it, it, it's not a it statistically it wouldn't be significant so and and half of the adjudicated the the unexplained sudden deaths were uh, adjudicated well they were adjudicated as cardiovascular and, and the fda looked at this something i, I learned only just in the last few days since then um, but the, the fda looked at this and half of them they reattributed to be non-cardiovascular uh, subsequently but even if we've got half where we're not quite sure that may make a difference so i think there's, it asks more questions about Emper, Emper Reg, and and therefore, you know, do these drugs in these patients actually do prevent death, or or is there something magical about Emper that flows in? And, and and certainly, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it, it's it's interesting because we don't know. So, well, I think uh, just to point out though, in terms of the adjudication for the unexplained deaths, that was allowed, wasn't it? That uh, you know that Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I mean it. it it wasn't the investigators going rogue. That what that was accepted uh, practice. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I but I think it's been applied slightly differently in in different studies. So I think that, and you've got to bear in mind some of this is the minutiae of clinical trials. But yeah. because we base so much on the outcome, the headline on these trials, it is worth getting clever people to dig deeper. Um, and uh, and. Yeah, so I, 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 so I'm not, I'm not um, saying the Emperor Eggs uh, trial doesn't stand it. The, the results are there; they're statistically significant. But you've just got to bear in mind, you know, I mean, my view of SGLT2 inhibitors is they, 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 they exert the cardiovascular benefits through through heart failure you know, uh, improvements, really, uh, and and. Uh, but the but the mortality benefits are obviously really important to patients and to clinicians treating those patients. So it's a it's an important answer for us to try to find. But I don't know. We're not nobody, the only way to. Uh, and Mark Cooper, who reviewed this, uh, Professor Mark Cooper is a professor uh, down in Melbourne, um, who reviewed it. He, you know, he he did um, point out that the only real way you're going to get this answer is doing a head to head trial. Well, that's never going to happen. Um, uh, you know, dafagliflozin is it goes off generic in three years' time. So I can't imagine that company is going to spend you know the next five years answering that question unless it has to. Uh, uh, you know, and the same with the manufacturers of uh, of empagliflozin. Great. No, no, th thanks for that answer, Patrick. And then, uh, Amal, the other question I wanted to ask you was about the the renal composite. You know, we've seen a real consistent uh, message across the class: renal benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors. But yet, in Virtus TV, we we didn't see a, a significant. Uh, uh, well, there was no uh, uh, positive renal composite endpoint. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yes, I mean. It was an interesting, that was actually one of the more interesting uh, analyses from the trial in a way. Yes. You had, uh, we had hospitalization for heart failure, which matched what we know yes. previously from, from the SGL2 inhibitors, but the renal composite, which we've seen, which actually has mirrored hospitalization for heart failure in a way, like all the trials have shown some benefit in, in yeah. renal endpoints or renal composite endpoints um, from each of the, the other medications, but, but uh, atoglifosin did not show that. Um, it showed a trend towards it, but it didn't show any uh, any significance uh, uh, reduction in a way and one of the key things to remember is that all these trials though we um, 
Though we say the SGL2 inhibitor cardiovascular outcome trials, they're all slightly different in a way. Yes. Firstly, um, I mean, we have no head to head, but in terms of I guess, the population they're looking at, we have empagliflozin, um, which was 99% or 99% had established cardiovascular disease. Um, and this mirrors that. So this is the only one that mirrors the same population, whereas the others had a combination of primary and secondary, uh, 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 so had, had primary and secondary prevention, sorry, if I speak, uh, as an outcome, as, as one of the features. Um, what I was, what we can't, what we don't know in a way, and what we know from uh, from Virtus CV is that a large proportion of the baseline characteristics of the of the groups had a high degree of heart failure. We don't know a lot about the uh, underlying other medications that were in the trials in the placebo group, the add-on therapies that were put on, both from a from a glycemic point of view and also from a cardiovascular point of view. Any other medications that were changed, I don't think that information was presented. So we don't know if there was a difference between them, which might explain the impact, but. The honest answer is I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know exactly why, why there's a difference when everything else matched and the heart failure hospitalization was, was just the same, just as good as any of the other uh, SGLT2 inhibitors. Um, I'm inclined to believe it's a class, class effect, um, but I, I can't explain why this one hasn't. And, and is it an idiosyncrasy of this trial? Is it something else? We'll, time will tell. We'll find out more, more information from, from Virtus CV. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a quirk and I don't know. I'll just pack that thought about class effect and we'll, we'll finish on that actually. But I was going to uh, go over to Amrit now. Certainly from, uh, from a primary care perspective, I was pleased to see though the safety profile uh, in Virtus CV, particularly uh, the, the L, no, no imbalance, I should say, in the lower limb amputation. So do you think we can safely put this issue to, to, to rest now, uh, Amrit? Uh, and if you can also comment on the rest of the sort of safety profile uh, highlighted in the Virtus CV, which overall was was reassuring, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. As you say, it's a very uh, kind of a very kind of important factor in primary care. Yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, primary care clinicians generally are the ones who are prescribing uh, this class of, of medication. So, uh, pretty much in line with the other trials, as far as you know, slightly more num uh, greater numbers of genital tract infections, urinary tract infections. We know about that already. Yeah. But as you as you picked up on. There was no signal for lower limb amputation, which has been a concern of, um, in, in, in the previous studies, obviously the cardiovascular outcome trial for canical frozen. Um, so there's no signal there, no signal for DKA, uh, which during this current period, there has been some discussion during the COVID-19 pandemic about any concerns of initiating or having a patient continuing on a SGLT2 inhibitor. So that was very reassuring. So no difference there between the uh, intervention and the placebo group. Um, and then uh, Fournier's gangrene, which uh, uh, was something that's uh, obviously uh, uh, kind of quite alarming previously, but again, no signal found there at all. So overall, and fractures as well, again, no, no, signal, no, no signal found for increased risk of fractures. So overall, very positive findings in terms of safety profile, quite reassuring for our primary care colleagues. Um, and, uh, and hopefully we'll put to bed some of the debate that we've seen. Uh, but again, you know, I, I have this, uh, I try and look at every trial on its own merits and looking at the individual agent that we're looking at as well. You know, so this is very much article frozen. So how much can we kind of draw parallels completely to the other uh, agents? I'm not sure, but it would seem quite a, a, a positive finding for the class as a whole. Absolutely. So I know, a nice way to segue into my, my last uh, sort of question or two then. 
class effect or not? I mean, this is a $64,000 question. This has also been all over uh, Twitter. So we'll just start with you, uh, Amrit. Uh, so SGLT2 effects, the, the cardiovascular benefits, the renal benefits, uh, you know, perhaps some of these other benefits we are hearing about uh, in terms of diabetes prevention. Do you think this is a class effect? I think Mark Cooper's. Yeah, I'm going to go to Mark Cooper's. Kind of, kind of, maybe, maybe. maybe. I think it's answered many questions. You know, I suppose in terms of you know um, uh, glucose lowering, it's the molecule itself. Um, So, so yes, uh, I think what we also have to uh, acknowledge, though, as Amar pointed out, it was a very similar kind of baseline characteristic to to the Empereg trial. But there are clear differences in, 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 the, in the primary outcomes and, and also in the secondary outcomes. So there are some unanswered questions there. I suppose the only thing I'd add to Amar's point is that you know, the, the, the number of patients of heart failure uh, were far greater. And I don't know whether, and perhaps that's something we could discuss, whether that had any influence on the, on the difference in results that we saw. Um, and also, I'm not a statistician, uh, and some of you may have figured out already, but there was a lot of talk about the confidence intervals and um, you know, uh, the confidence levels around the mean um, when it came to the analysis. Um, I, and I think if any of you have any comments about that, particularly in kind of, kind of distilling that for the primary care uh, audience that we have today, because those are the, the, the hotly debated um, areas of analysis, uh, which prevented, I think, Mark Cooper from saying, yes, it is the class of phase. And, and in a sense, prevents me from saying so as well. Patrick, you, you, I think you commented on a few of those points on Twitter. Yeah. You? yeah, so, I mean, I think, so for me, I mean, answering the question is a class effect. I'm also with uh, Mark Cooper, uh, so he's a professor in uh, in metabolic medicine. So, so, yeah. So, well, but I, I would. I mean, his was pro. So probably. So it is. So it's a bit like your Heineken advert or whatever it is. It's not Heineken actually. It's Carlsberg. But anyway, that we're not. So uh, let's let's go with all of them. They're probably, and it's a marketing term. Probably a class effect. The only thing for me which stands out is that CV death, which I've, I've mentioned. I think the rest broadly fall in line. Uh, the, the issue of confidence intervals and, and variation around the mean, you know, um, it's worth pointing out that, so the, the smaller the study, the, you know, the less certain things are, often the broader the confidence intervals, depending on the number of events and, and what have you. The smallest of all the cardiovascular outcome trials involved with SGLT2, I believe is Empereg. So, you know, it is the smallest one. Um, other things change. The time of when it was done, Mark Cooper pointed this out, that, you know, we, we, so um, the, that blood pressure treatment has improved in terms of the SPRINT trial, which uh, encouraged, particularly in North America, and a lot of these people who are recruited were in North America. So, so I think, you know, so their blood pressures may be a bit lower, which again might reduce things like CV death, um, uh, MI, we know these things can make a different stroke. And, and, and so you... So therefore, and for that matter, heart failure, hospitalization. So you, so by better risk factor management, you might sort of just die, just reduce the overall effect size on 
on the, the placebo arm or the control arm as well as the active arm. And, and, and then they start looking less and less. And, and going back to that heart failure case, if you've identified more, I think it was something like about 10% in Empereg, it was about 23% yeah. in, in vertice CV. So quite big different numbers. Yeah. And maybe they're going to be on better treatment for that heart failure, which again reduces the benefits. If, if I'm right, and, and the main benefit of this, and of course with heart failure, people can die suddenly. Um, if, if, if it's all about uh, just improving that care, then you might actually not get the effect. And therefore, the studies, even though it was relatively big compared to Empereg, you might need even a bigger study. And, and that's where we come back to these meta-analysis to try to lump all of these things together. But what came out of that meta-analysis? We still can't explain that CV death. So that's why, going back to the beginning... I'm still uncertain, but, but it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, you're essentially saying it's a law of diminishing, diminishing return, don't you? We, you know, we've got, we've got, uh, got too good almost at reducing future cardiovascular risk, you know, especially in the context of heart failure, uh, circuitral valsata, and also a 5% absolute risk reduction. And then, and of course, we mustn't forget the ACE inhibitors, ARBs, spironolactone, the devices. So yeah, you're right, perhaps it, you know, it, it is a law of diminishing returns. Amma, what, uh, what are your thoughts? Is it a class effect? Uh, you, can th- you can throw in a culture scene into that if you want to. Oh, well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uric acid and all that. But, yeah, so uh, I always think about, you know, kind of reproducibility when you talk about trials, yeah. don't you? It can be reproduced. Now, the problem is all these trials were done with different populations. So this is the first, uh, the first trial you have, which somewhat reproduces what was done before. However, um, we know a lot more now. So I wonder if you were to do Empereg again, now, would you still see, would you get the same, I mean, I mean, you never can, would you see the same effects? And, and I can't answer that question to be I can't say, yes, we will see the exact same. In fact, I don't think we would, um, but that's just a thought. My, my, my thoughts on the class effect are kind of between heart and brain. Heart says, yes, it's a class effect. The brain says, well, there's not enough evidence to suggest it's a class effect. And so that's where I'm struggling. I know, I think heart failure and renal are probably, I mean, heart failure has got the clearest data of everything now from everything. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that there's a consistent effect in that so that's 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 a given in my mind renal outcomes yes i'd like to think so especially for what we know might be coming soon um but in terms of cv death three point mace and all that side of things i i i don't know i don't know I, i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not sure if this is just something yeah i i i i i i i can't be i can't be confident in saying that but but i can be confident in the other two which is where we are and i think it's it, I'm inclined to look at uh, Empered and say, well, hmm, <laughs> and leave it at that. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, it's interesting. It's fascinating. We'll be talking about this for years probably, um, uh, and certainly next year. But yeah, I, it's, it, I'm, I'm very much saying with Amrit and Patrick and probably yourself that. Well, I, I was, yeah, it's only fair if I give you my opinion. And I, I, I've got to say, I think it is a class thing. There you go. <laughs> okay. And, and I think, you know, we will be talking about this uh, for many years to come, but we've got lots of lives to save now, don't we? Uh, mm. Lots of work to do now. So I think, yes, let the debate continue, particularly amongst the, the geeks like us. But, you know, we need to put this into to practice now, don't we? And I'm not saying we mustn't practice evidence-based medicine or what I prefer to call evidence-informed yet patient-centered medicine. So, of course, for my heart failure patients, currently the evidence best supports dapagliflozin. For my renal patients, the currently the evidence best supports canagliflozin. And for my atherosclerotic patients, particularly if I'm worried about CV mortality, the evidence best supports uh, empagliflozin. 
Uh, but that's not to say there's not a role for her to go through, isn't it? You know, in that in that individual newly diagnosed with type two diabetes who have you know uh, titrated up the metformin, no particular other cardiovascular risk factors. There could you know there's a place for urticlofrozin for that uh, for that individual. And of course, we mustn't forget uh, uh, the USP of urticlofrozin, uh, the big USP is the price, isn't it? Yeah, to twenty percent uh, cheaper, flat price, both doses. So you know we mustn't mustn't forget about that. But it, it does. Call, you know, I see lots of hands your door. I'll let you know. Uh, so it, it, I'm not saying it's an easy decision, but uh, I, I think yes, let the debate continue. But we do need to start implementing all this data. So yeah, Patrick, you go for first. Well, there are two things. So price, of course, I've already flagged up that dapagliflozin yeah. is going to go generic in three years. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. that's worth thinking about. Yeah, I'm an instrument, and and yeah. we've got to save some money, and that's a good way. Nobody I, likes switching patients from one thing to the other. So that's something to I bear in mind. I didn't realize it was so soon, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's in one year in the United States for Europe it's three years so um, and in terms of unless there's some funny things they do with license extensions but anyway that's uh, we'll leave it but but and the other thing about uh which I didn't fully appreciate in terms of the amount of glucose it, it you push out based on on early studies is actually the 15 milligram which didn't do so well in terms of cardiovascular death it's worth pointing out <laughs> uh, compared to the five milligram dose the lower dose but the highest dose appears to be the most efficacious in terms of uh, glucose excretion so and therefore presumably weight loss and, 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 and hba1c reduction so so there are some positive things to say about ertagliflozin um and um yeah uh, so uh, uh, yeah okay um uh the other thing is uh, is that that the 20 percent you know, difference that cost difference could you invest that somewhere else? And is that you know that, that money you're going to save there? Do it use other things which may have more impact on cardiovascular death and mortality mm. and all those things? Which, if we say verticofrozin doesn't have that, well, that cost difference could that be used towards achieving that in a different way and perhaps in more in other ways? And I, I think that's a strong point to argue. Um, is there a role for verticofrozin? Yes, there, there probably is, and, and and it's going to be where you place it. And as you were saying, probably earlier on, I would highlight. Um, I think one of the things that came out of this conference also was my thought process in, in you know, how soon we initiate and, and add second therapy on in, in, in patients. I know PCDE, Primary Care Diabetes Europe, have released some guidelines out where they advocate um, dual therapy, initially from the start, metformin plus in the beginning. And I think that's a very interesting concept, which, let's say, a few years ago, I'd have been like, mm, but now I'm, 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 I'm swaying. <laughs> and I think that's something interesting, something interesting. Amrit. Yeah, I was just going to add to that in terms of uh, at the coalface prescribing SGLT2 inhibitors. Um, there has been confusion as to which one to, to prescribe when, you know, with, with canaglyphosin, dapaglyphosin, and empaglyphosin. Um, and now we're throwing into the mix, you know, a, a fourth agent. And I think it's, it's really important that there is some cohesive kind of guidance around this. Uh, and so I'm really looking towards the ADA ESD consensus statement, that, which will no doubt be updated later this year, to see whether they, they continue their current position, which is mm -hmm. of it being a class, with details obviously within their, their document. Um, but I think for the generalist, the last thing you need is to have a fly in the ointment uh, and, and thinking, well, no, hold on, which is this the SGLT2 inhibitor that I shouldn't be using in this situation? <laughs> Is this, you know, so I think that's the last thing that we want. So uh, I'm glad you did say it's a class effect and that you go over the fence because to an extent, you know, it's a balance, you know, from the, the, the academic and the statistical analysis, 
of which there is a, you know, a lot going on, um, uh, perhaps against the hierarchical testing kind of um, guidance that we have, looking at secondary uh, kind of outcomes, uh, and actually trying to be cohesive and, and give you know, a straightforward guidance to the, to the wider medical community. Uh, so I think there's something definitely to be said to, to stick to a class-based class uh, guidance. Thank you so much. And my very, I promise my very last question, is 2020 the beginning of the end for metformin then? Patrick. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Straight in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say no, but, but I've decided to sentence, say yes. And then one sentence, why? We, type 2 diabetes is complicated. We need medicines that have proven to work in many modalities in terms of patient-orientated outcomes. Yeah. The reason I asked that, that DAPA, no, that first, I think it was the DAPA session, was saying uh, diabetologists, you know, primary care as well, were wedded to metformin really more with familiarity, due to familiarity and sentiment rather than a robust evidence base. Amma, is it the beginning of the end for our dear friend so, metformin? Yes, in cardiovascular disease, no in diabetes. diabetes. Okay. I don't think you can exclude the whole wealth of information, knowledge, and effects that metformin has proven and shown over decades. And practical uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. Practical experience. Yeah. And you can't exclude the new trials and the, the robust evidence we have from the current medications. So in, I think we'll have it separately. I think in cardiovascular patients, it may not be, it may not be first line. It probably won't be where things are going. But otherwise... I don't think you could exclude it. Or maybe I said, you know, a one plus one, add one straight away. So you'd be on dual. Yeah. I say I'm, I'm opposing Patrick on this. Okay. <laughs> and I'm ready to finish us off. Yeah, I think dual is a good way forward at the moment. <laughs> but it, in, in three years' time, it might be a very different story. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Can I have one comeback? Yeah, yeah sure, go for it. Uh, which is based on one of the sessions that I watched in... Um, in the ADA. And it, it was that Alquist uh, paper, which talked about the subtypes of type 2 diabetes, came out a couple of years ago now. And, um, and I think maybe that's something we need to revisit. I think even the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, they are, there are different features. And if you've got, so uh, some of these patients quite clearly rapidly progress, and, and it is much more of a cardiovascular disease or cardiometabolic disease, they get renal disease relatively early. They, um, and for those patients, maybe metformin isn't going to be the best treatment for them. Um, and maybe some of these neuroagents are, but, but you know, metformin is a very efficacious treatment, which is very good at glucose lowering, may have additional other benefits. Um, but, but yeah, so we should be treating the patient ultimately. Yeah, I mean, you're talking now about personalized medicine, aren't we? And some of the great work done by you and Pearson, absolutely. You know, that, that, is, that is the future, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll make one last point. Not, not, nothing about that, um, Patrick, we're, we're even, don't worry. <laughs> um, uh, just, uh, we're talking all about type 2 diabetes, and, and still the elephant in the room is that type 1 diabetes, cardiovascular yes. disease. We don't have anything specifically besides the standard medications we have for anyone, for you know, anything specific. So um, that's the big elephant in the room and, and something for the future, maybe. Good stuff. Mm. Any final comments or cha challenges? <laughs> Thank you so much all for your time. Much appreciated. Really enjoyed that, that discussion. I think we've gone on far longer than I anticipated. But it just shows we would have been doing this in Chicago, wouldn't we? Uh, we would have been having this discussion. So uh, 
uh, it's been great to, great to chat and hopefully we'll have a, a, another opportunity to do so again. So thanks again, uh, much appreciated.